Now, if you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Have you ever heard of a mental health day? Anybody heard of those, mental health day? Okay. Have you ever taken a mental health day? Have you ever, had a, have you ever experienced a mental breakdown before? Anybody ever experienced that before where, like, maybe you weren't going crazy. Well, maybe you felt like you were going crazy, but maybe you weren't going crazy, but just like you weren't in a good space, you know? Everything wasn't fine on the inside. Uh, whether it was you were, you were having feelings of discouragement or depression even, or feelings of despair, or you were feeling angry, agitated about life, or you were feeling anxious and, and fearful and concerned, and you just didn't feel good about life on the inside. Anybody ever have days like that? Okay. Or, or you're just lacking any kind of inner peace. You know, just there was like a storm on the inside. Okay. And the solution to that, and, and one of the things we need to note as we walk through this, the solution to that issue is not going to actually prevent that day from coming. Okay. Because we will experience struggles no matter how prepared we are. In fact, that's the, the statement that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way. Okay, so there are days where it's not going good, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And so learning how to walk in the principles that, that the Lord gives us in His Word will not keep those days from coming. So then what's the gain to it then? Well, what it will do if we learn to walk in these principles, it, it'll take the sting of it a little bit away. It'll, it'll reduce how severe it is. Also, it'll enable us to walk out of that day. Okay, Because sometimes we get knocked on our, on our backs and we can't seem to get back up. And if we learn how to walk in the way that the Lord teaches us to approach uh, our mental well-being and our thought life, we will learn that when those days come, we are pressed, but we're not crushed, and we're able to get up and actually get back to a place of, of soundness and peace and, and all of those kind of things. Uh, and if we learn to walk in these things, there, are, there is a gain for us personally. In fact, it says this in Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Or Philippians 4, 7, like I read before when we started the service, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then in our passage in Philippians 2, when we're called to imitate Christ, and in the process of Christ behaving the way we're called to imitate, it says that in verse 9, God highly exalted him. And in verse 16, it says, Paul says, in the day of Christ, I may be proud. That the result of walking in the principles that God has for us will result in having peace of mind. Would you like to have that peace of mind? How many of you, when you were driving here today, you hit a few spots that you thought, I would like to have peace of mind at this moment, okay? And so we could have that if we walk in these principles that God has for us. Maybe we're okay for ourselves, or maybe we don't really care if we're struggling. Uh, that's not what interests us. Uh, well, think about this whole idea of being of sound mind is actually linked to our standing before God. Because in this passage where we're called to, to have this peace, Paul says in verse 12, in that context, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so to walk out these principles is a part of me being in good standing before God. 
In fact, at the beginning of the passage, he says in verse 1, if there be any, and he lists the positive things that we receive from Christ, then walk in this. And so if we have any kind of a good relationship with Jesus Christ, we should want to be of sound mind, to be walking in this peace that he provides for us. And if not for that, then also because of the, because of the mission that we have. Because when we are able to be sound in mind, in verse 15 in our passage, that what results is you shine as lights in the world. We are a better representation of Christ and the goodness of Christ if we are together than if we're falling apart. Okay, And not that we can't have a day that we're falling apart. But listen, we're not going to convince anybody of the strength of walking in Christ if we're just falling all over ourselves. And so part of being this is to fulfill the mission that he has for us. Also, God calls us. This is his purpose for our lives, is to walk in this peace of mind. That's why in Philippians 2 verse 5 he says, have this mind. We are called to have this mindset. Or if we think of the instructions in 1 Peter 3 and in 1 Peter 5, he tells us to be sober-minded. It is God's will for our lives to walk in this soundness of mind. Now, in, I mentioned this last week. In the coming weeks, we're going to walk through what the Bible says about how to have stability in the various areas of our lives. And there are different things that motivate us. Have you ever talked to a salesperson and he was trying to convince you to buy something, some kind of service, and, and his plea he made on your end, you thought, I don't even care about that. So I don't know why he's saying that because that doesn't move me at all to buy this. But maybe you've talked to a salesman and all of a sudden they touched on the thing that you really care about. And all of a sudden you were like, I didn't want to buy anything, but now I want to buy everything because he hit the right thing, right? Okay. God knows that we're motivated for different reasons. And so we need to know that there's a few different reasons that we could be motivated to seek stability. And depending on where you are, that one will be the one that strikes for you. Some of us just want goodness in our own lives. We want our lives to be better. We want our lives to, to be good. And we want to have that stability in our own lives. And so that would be the reason for us to seek what does God say about having the stability? How do I have that? But secondly, some of us, again, really don't care if we're not feeling that great. Some of us have been feeling bad enough, maybe physically, that we're like, I'm just used to it, so I'm okay not feeling great. But if we don't know how to seek the stability that God has for us, then we cannot help our loved ones to seek that. We will have no way of knowing the person who is distraught or struggling with, uh, without having peace of mind. We won't know how to lead them to that. And we have, have you ever had someone that you really care about that's in a bad way? And you thought, I want to help this person out of that. We won't know how to do that if we don't know what the Bible teaches us on how to lead them to that. And so just for the sake of our love for our loved ones and for the mission of the gospel, we need to know how to seek the stability. Or if maybe you don't care about that, then care about the, the desire to honor the Lord. I hope that if you're here this morning, to some degree, you want to honor Christ. And to honor Christ, even if we're okay struggling, even if we don't care about the mission, which I hope isn't the case, we bring greater honor to the Lord when we represent Him well by demonstrating the goodness, the, the blessings of, the wisdom of, the power of God by walking in those things. And we, we fail to be that bright light when we don't walk in that. And so we have all kinds of reasons in the world to pursue this stability that God has for us. But how, for today... Do I have a healthy thought life? How do I get to a place where my mind is at peace 
And no, the answer isn't to have more money. And the answer isn't to get healthier. The answer is, no matter what the circumstances are, how do I have peace? Now, we're going to focus mostly on Philippians 2, but in your own time, consider reading Colossians 3 as well as Romans 12, because those two passages also highlight the, the principles on how to pursue the peace of mind. We might refer to a couple of them that, that it suggests some things that Philippians 2 does not. But for the most part, you'll find that Paul's repeating these principles in those chapters as well. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds for action. Now, we trust Christ, and I know that many times we think that uh, that means to just step back, step back and let God figure everything out. But many times, the way God wants to resolve things is for us to trust Him by walking in the actions that He calls us to pursue. And so if we're going to find peace of mind, then we need to, as Peter suggests here in 1 Peter, not suggest, commands, to get our minds ready for action. And so if you find yourself in despair, anxious, depressed, whatever, or someone in your life is in that place, the way to deal with it is to first start to get ready to take action to do something about that day, that mental breakdown day. So we can do that. We can do this healthy thought life if we take three actions. So the first action is to live for the Lord. I can, I can take a pill. I can go see a therapist. I can, I can seek out a bunch of comfort that I can seek out. and Maybe to some degree that will help in time, uh, to some degree. But, if, but we will never truly know lasting peace until we know how to enter into a completely surrendered posture before the Lord. And following the Lord, as, as we've joked before, listening to Caleb does not make you a follower of the Lord. Okay, Wearing that Christian t-shirt or slapping that bumper sticker on your car does not make you a follower of the Lord. So then what is it, what does it look like to be a follower of the Lord that results in this peace that surpasses all understanding? Well, in our passage in verse 16 of Philippians 2 says, holding fast to the word of life. It starts by studying the word of God because how else will I know? Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I heard God say to me, and then they said what they thought God said to them, and you thought, you're nuts. Have you ever had that before? Okay, because just because I think God's saying something to me, it might just be myself, it might just be that, that greasy food I ate last night, whatever it might be, and, and the only way for me to truly know for sure, that's why there was so much uh, effort uh, on God's part through uh, the various authors of the Scripture to give us this book that we have in our hands or on our devices, is because we need to know clearly what God is saying to us, what it is that He expects of us, what He wants from us, and we can't know that unless we're studying the Scripture. And it's not good enough to just get a 30 to 45 minute sermon once a week. Okay, we need to constantly study the Scripture to ask, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to view this life? How am I supposed to be living it? And we do that not just so that we can have some information in our head. We do that because we anticipate ourselves obeying that. In fact, the example that, that Jesus gives for us to copy in Philippians 2, in verse 8, is to be obedient or in verse 12, Paul echoes that same idea, to obey. And so, 
to follow the Lord, I need to study the Scripture, and then I need to do what it says. But sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, sometimes we read what it says, we realize what it's saying, and then we encounter a situation where we remember what he was telling me to do with this, and I don't want to do that. Have you ever had that before? Like, I don't want to do that. Or maybe I want to do it to some degree, but I'm too scared to do it. Or I just, I feel too foolish to do it, or too awkward, or I'm not really sure how to go about it, or I feel like I'm going to mess it up. And, and so we see, we know what we're supposed to do, but it's too hard for us. And that's where the, the sacrifice of walking with the Lord comes into the picture. Because Jesus, as an example to us in Philippians 2, verse 8, that he obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. In fact, Paul even says in verse 17 of himself, even, uh, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And so sometimes to obey means to sacrifice. It means when I'm too tired to do it, but I know that God's telling me to do it, I push through that fatigue. When I'm too scared to do it, and I'd rather be comfortable, I choose to sacrifice my comfort in order to obey the Lord. And if we've ever wondered why we don't have peace of mind, I bet that many times we'd find a person who's not willing to fully obey to the point of sacrifice. But that's hard to sacrifice, isn't it? I mean, we would love to act like we're better than that and act like it's never hard to follow the Lord. But it is hard to sacrifice to resist any temptation to, to get angry, to lust, to say the wrong thing, to resist any temptation to be indifferent and pulled back from the things that we should be doing, to love the way that we should. It is not easy to do that, which is why, good news and bad news, I guess, is that we need to learn to rely on the Lord. In fact, it says in Philippians 2, verse 13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you know that right now, God is at work in you to enable you to pay attention to this word right now? Did you know that when you realize, I should witness to this friend of mine, or I should, I should be loving to this crazy person that drives me nuts, did you know that at that very moment, the Holy Spirit is at work within us to enable us to do the right thing? And then on top of that, if we, if we uh, are struggling, we need to remember in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, how? By prayer. And I'm embarrassed to say the number of times, and I was just praying about that, I think, this morning, the number of times that I find myself struggling. Have you ever had one of those days where you're like, you're feeling edgy? You just don't like anybody around you. you just, everything inside you, like in your head, you're running through some thoughts that are not good, right? And you're thinking of actually fulfilling some of those thoughts. And for whatever reason, sometimes I, I realize that, you know what? I need to stop and pray right now. And I need to stop and, Lord, help me to be patient. Help me to see this the way you see it. Help me to have understanding, Lord. Fill me right now with the Holy Spirit and empower me to do the right thing. And most of the time, when I remember to do that, I'm amazed at how all of a sudden I have this rising patience, this rising love, this insight to know what to do at this moment. But I'm embarrassed to say how often it takes until it kind of falls apart before I finally realize to do something about it. 
Or it takes until the next day where I reflect on the way that just went, and I think, man, if I would have remembered to pray, then this might have went differently because we need to rely on the Lord. Now, the good news to that is we have all the ability given to us to do everything God has called us to do. The, na- the bad news to that is that means that we have nobody else to blame when we fail to do it because we had all the resources to be able to do that. And so if I want to have peace of mind and have that power at work in me, then I need to learn how to follow the Lord. And I do that by studying the Scriptures, obeying what it says, sacrificing and seeking and relying on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But, and I know that this is going to sound, just walk with me for a minute. Following Jesus doesn't actually resolve all of those problems. And I know that we would like to say that Jesus is the answer for everything. Isn't there a song like that? Jesus is the answer for the world today. See, we know that song, okay. Uh, and, And yes, that is true in top priority. That is the first starting point. But sometimes we need some additional insight beyond that. And we might say, well, I I don't know. Like, isn't that blasphemous to say that that we need more instruction beyond just following Jesus? Well, have you ever thought about this? Think about how lengthy the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. And think of of how much instruction is there and how much insight is given in that book. If God felt that all we needed was to just follow Jesus and we didn't need additional instructions, then why did he give us so much instructions? Now, he didn't give it because he's not perfect. He gave it because we're kind of broken and a mess. And also, we kind of, we're, we're sometimes like the eight-year-old kid. Do you ever feel like you're an eight-year-old kid again? We're sometimes like the eight-year-old kid that's willing to throw a tantrum to get what we want and lie, even though we know it's wrong. Uh, and we try to pretend like we don't. Have you ever had a kid say, I'm not lying? And you knew they're lying. You're like, I'm just trying to. We tell that to our kids sometimes. We're like, we already, we saw it, okay? We saw you do it. We're just trying to get you to admit what we know is true, okay? But because we're kind of like, we're kind of conniving, we need to have it in print right in front of us to be able to realize what's happening there. And he gives us so much insight on how to figure this whole peace of mind thing out that it starts again with following the Lord, but the next step is, the next action is to adjust my attitude. Have you ever felt like you needed an attitude adjustment? Have you ever felt like the person sitting next to you really needs an attitude adjustment right now? I see that, Katie. And <laughs> and I, I don't know, we hear the world say this at times, uh, but it's, it's biblical as well. Did you know that we can choose our attitude? We can. We like to blame the circumstances and say, that's why I'm ticked off. And, that's, and I do the same thing. That's why I'm mad. You know, if this person wasn't this way, then I wouldn't be acting the way that I am. And we like to blame the circumstances. But we can always choose what our attitude is. But in order to do that, we have to do a few things. And uh, in fact, I know the world has this idea of positive thinking. Did you know that they actually stole that from Scripture? Okay. Now, they might not do it correctly entirely. They might not land on the right spot. But we're actually called to be positive thinkers. Did you know that? In fact, in our passage in verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I don't know if anybody here in this room made it from from waking up till this moment without grumbling about something, right? But we are called not to grumble. 
In fact, Paul, Paul says in verses 17 and 18, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In fact, in Philippians 4.8, Paul says, he lists a bunch of positive things to think about, and he says, think about these things, and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what does that look like? Have you ever thought bad thoughts towards somebody else? Have you ever thought that person's a mess, that person's a jerk, I really don't like that person, that person's really not competent, or whatever, they're selfish, and you're thinking negative thoughts about somebody else? When that happens, we need to stop ourselves, and we need to start changing that and start, and we can say this out loud, you know what, actually, that person isn't that bad. And sometimes that's where we have to start out, okay? Uh, that person isn't that bad, and, and here's something positive about them, and here's another thing that's positive about them. And we might feel silly saying things out loud when there's nobody else around, but sometimes we need to hear out loud these positive things. Or we need to start thinking about the things we're thankful for. And when we're thinking about, well, I don't have enough money to pay for my rent payment, we need to think about, but I'm still in the place that I'm renting right now. Or I can't really use these legs of mine really well. I need to start thinking, but I can walk right now. And the more we start, because listen, when we get to that place of depression and despair, do you know why we get there? We get there because we're focusing on all the things that are going wrong in our lives. And we might have a lot of things going wrong in our lives, but do we want to stay in a point of depression and despair and breakdown, or do we want to get to a place where we can have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? And in order to do that, we have to stop with all the grumbling and complaining and remind ourselves of why we have it so good. So we need to be positive. We also need to learn to put others first. In Philippians 2, it says, verse 3, count others more significant than yourselves. In verse 4, it says, look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And the example that Christ gives us in verse 7, it says that he took the form of a servant. In verses 7 and 8, he says, being, more, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. And we might not realize how that is others-focused, but when we think about that Jesus is God in flesh, that Jesus is God and he chose to put himself into the human condition, and he did that to save us, but he also did that in part to relate to us, to understand us, to be in the circumstances that we are in, to be with us in those circumstances. And so sometimes we need to learn to get into the circumstances of other people's lives. And here's the thing that starts to happen. We might think, well, how does serving others make me feel better about myself, make me feel peace in my, my mind and in my heart? Well, it, it does that a couple different ways. One, we probably should just think and not actually verbalize to the person. But when we start caring about the needs and, and the issues of someone else, and we start trying to serve those things, many times what we begin to discover is, wow, I don't have it as bad as that person does. And we start to realize how good we actually do have it. And for some reason, we need to see it horrible before we realize that we don't have it that bad. Now, again, that's why we shouldn't say out loud, well, your life is way worse than mine is. Like, probably shouldn't say that out loud. But sometimes we think our lives is so horrible because we're not out there with other people and seeing that it can get a lot worse. And seeing that enables us to have this gratitude and this joy and this peace that we would, wouldn't have otherwise. But also, deciding to serve and focus on other people's needs distracts us from our own. Because again, you will never find a depressed person, not typically, 
out there working with people and serving others. Do you know where a depressed person usually is? In their home, by themselves, wallowing in their self-pity. And that only exacerbates the problem. And so if we want, and, I, and I, I've told people that are struggling with depression this time and time again, and they almost rarely listen to me, that if you are depressed, and if anybody in this room is depressed, the answer, even though everything in you is telling you to do the opposite, the answer is to get out there and be with other people and do something. And I'm telling you, it won't feel right immediately, but you will never get out of that depression if you decide to stay inactive and alienated from others. And what begins to happen is we begin to see that when Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, we will begin to see that our lives is so much better when we're focusing on caring and serving other people. And there are people in this church that will testify to that. And so if you want to have peace of mind, begin to put other people first. You'll see a lot of things change. Also, I need to be humble. That's not easy to do sometimes, is it? And some of us think, well, I'm not, I'm not arrogant. I don't have any issue with pride. Well, let me consider something. Well, first, in verse 8, Jesus' example was that he humbled himself. But in verse 6, the way he humbled himself, and this is an interesting. Though he was in the form God, think about this. Jesus is God in the flesh. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus, when he walked in this earth, he was okay with being mistreated because he didn't claim in pride that I deserve better. And maybe, and he did. Not maybe, he did deserve better, didn't he? And he is an example to us that sometimes if we stop and think of it, the things that we're frustrated about and the things that we're demanding, we truly don't actually deserve that, right? Now, when we're frustrated and angry, we're mad because someone didn't help me or someone was doing something wrong to me or, or whatever the circumstances are. And we, we feel like we probably say this at, at times, don't we? I don't deserve this, right? We say that. And maybe, maybe that's true. But if we're going to imitate Christ, then we're going to say, I don't deserve this, but you know what? That's okay. I'm not going to cling to my rights. I'm not going to demand that I get treated well. And we might think, well, what does that have to do with peace of mind? Well, if we don't care about the messy house, then we won't be mad and depressed about the messy house. If we don't care about that the car got dented or scratched, we don't care about that my boss doesn't like me, my neighbor doesn't like me. If we don't care about it, if nobody seems to be showing up and helping me take care of this, if we don't care about that, we won't be angry and depressed about it. The reason why we get angry and depressed is because we're trying to cling to the things that we want in this life. And if we decide to adjust our attitudes and say, you know what, I'm going to look at this differently, we might find ourselves having peace of mind. But one extra added item on the, the attitude adjustment that's not in, in Philippians 2 is in 1 Peter 5, 8, which says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To be sober-minded, we need to be watchful. Or there are numerous statements in the New Testament that tell us to be alert, to be aware, to be on guard, to pay attention. And what are the things that we're paying attention to? Well, again, there are numerous statements in Scripture that tell us to examine ourselves, to look at ourselves and ask, what's going on inside of me? And so when we are feeling angry, we need to ask ourselves, why am I so angry? 
What is it that's making me upset? What is it that's making me edgy? What is it that's making me sad or depressed? And what we will find is if we start paying attention to ourselves, sometimes we'll realize, have you ever came to realize this? Sometimes we'll realize we're mad about something really stupid. Have you ever had that before? Like sometimes we realize, I'm so enraged, and this doesn't even matter, you know? And because we weren't aware, that's like, have you ever saw someone losing their mind? Like you're thinking, I don't know why they're so anxious about this. And you just see them like, like losing their mind. And you're thinking, if you just would see what's going on, you would see that you have no reason to be anxious, but, but they can't see it. Or the person who's so enraged, and you're thinking, boy, tomorrow if you were to look at a video of this, you'd think, why was I so upset? And they can't see it. Why? Because they weren't paying attention. They were so consumed with their emotions that they weren't seeing the reality of what was happening around them. And if we can learn to pay attention and ask, what is, what is triggering me? What's making me so upset? What's causing this to happen in my life? We might begin to, one, diminish how bad it is, but secondly, we might begin to find some insight to be able to discover some healing in our hearts and minds. I have discovered, and if you pay attention, you've probably discovered this too. I've discovered that right now in this moment when I'm upset or angry, sometimes it has to do with something that was going on five years ago that I'm still dealing with in my head. And if we stop and we pay attention and we're alert, we will discover those things and we'll land on healing. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And again, if we don't do this for ourselves, then learn to do this for someone that you care about. To show them how to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. So we take action by following the Lord, adjusting our attitudes, and lastly, by joining the team. Now, what team is that? Well, it's the church. I prefer to call it team just in this context, not that the church is the wrong term to use. But sometimes when people hear the word church, they think a building or they think the service, you know, like I'm going to church. Uh, we had church today. You know, we use that terminology. Or they think just like being a member of something means church. But church actually means being a part of a team. Church actually means being involved in people's lives and working towards a common goal. And in fact, that verse 2, and it's a key verse for myself, in, in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul lays out four ways that you and I are supposed to be the same. That there are four ways that you and I are supposed to be united. And before you think, well, I don't know how, what this has to do with me, walk, or with, with peace of mind, walk through with me these qualities, and you'll find that if we're a part of this kind of team, then we're going to have peace of mind. So how do, we, how do we be the same? Well, first, by having the same mind, okay, to think the same way. It doesn't mean we all have to think of the same, have the same opinions, but we need to learn to think like the Lord thinks. Well, again, how do we do that? By studying the Scripture to see how God thinks, to see what reality is. And so the way we think the same way is we hold two biblical principles. So if the Bible clearly says it, then we clearly need to think all the same way. But there's, there's another part to this besides just holding the biblical principles. We also need to learn how to balance attention out. And the tension is that you and I, and, and Paul actually says this in Romans 14, or 12, he says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let them use them. We are all a part of, we belong to each other. Did you know that? 
Your well-being affects my well-being, and my well-being affects your well-being. We are all linked together. And because of that, we need to hold each other accountable, and we need to challenge each other to move upward in their faith and in our walk with Jesus Christ so that the whole body can be nourished and strengthened. And so there are some things that are, a, that are a corporate matter, but there are other things that we just need to mind our own business about because we are individually a part of this body. Each of us have our own individual lives and our own individual walk with the Lord, and all of us are also different. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you are different. Okay, now I wonder what kind of attitude you meant that by. Uh, but everyone around us, and the more you get to know the people around you that are around you, the more we'll find we're different in a lot of different ways, right? And we need to learn how to balance out if the Bible clearly says it, then I need to meddle in people's lives at times. I need to get involved and say, this isn't good. It's not good for you. It's not for good, good for us. This needs to stop. You need to change your mind. But then there are other things then I need to just let them make their own decisions. And some of us err on one side or the other of that. Some of us, we never want to get involved in what's going on in other people's lives, and we're failing to influence the people that, the way we need to, and they're failing to get healthy, and we're all failing to get healthy because of it. But sometimes we need to decide that that's none of my business. So the way that parent parents that child, that's none of my business. Okay, the, Whether that person wears jeans or a suit, or pajamas to church, that's none of my business, right? There are some things that are none of my business. That their favorite TV show is, I won't name any favorite TV shows because I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. Um, anyway, it, that, that person, that's their favorite TV show, I don't need to get involved in that, right? There are some things that I need to tell myself, there's some space here where I need to let them, before God, figure out what their conscience and Scripture is telling them. And if we do that, because listen, the church where everybody's under a microscope, that's not healthy. It's not. And I've been in those situations, and I've heard of those. Did you know there's a church in our uh, area that actually collects W-2s from all their members so that they can see if their members are actually giving their full tithe? We don't do that, by the way, as you, as you should well know. Uh, and that, what's that? No, there is, it's not a joke, there is actually a church that does that. Uh, no, so it is not healthy to be under a microscope. So we need to just let people choose some of their own choices, even if we know that they're, they're making the wrong one, okay? But we also need to not just stand by when someone's destroying their spirit, okay? So there's a need, you see how we're not going to be healthy and we're not going to have peace of mind if we don't know how to manage this tension. So if the Bible clearly says it, Hold someone accountable to. But if there's differing uh, interpretations of it reasonably, then let it go. Uh, so, and we use this example a lot. So if there's someone, do, that, did you know that the Bible's not abundantly clear how I'm supposed to approach politics as an individual? Did you know that? I know I use this example a lot, but it's an easy one. The Bible doesn't clearly say that. It gives some indications on some things, but it doesn't clearly say exactly what me as an individual needs to do politically. And so I need to be okay with, if that person doesn't approach politics the way I do, I need to be okay with that. And I need to be able to love them and respect them, despite that they have a different view than I do. So I need to think biblically. I also need to cooperate. I don't know if you've ever, in school, got a grade for failure to cooperate with others 
kind of thing. Have you ever had those things before? Okay. Uh, we need to learn how to get, a, get to cooperate with others. And that we're supposed to be of one accord, it says in verse 2. And that doesn't mean that we're all supposed to have a Honda Accord, Sean, in case you were going to latch on to that. We are supposed to be cooperative with one another. And some people aren't cooperative with people. Uh, they demand their own way. They insist on certain things. And they, they actually just decide if it's not going to go my way, I'm out. And a lot of people do church that way, right? If this church isn't going to do it the way I want them to do it, then I'm out. I'm going somewhere else where they'll do everything I tell them to do. Think about that for a moment, how that plays out. And so I need to be cooperative with others, to get along with them. And I also need to learn from others. In that finding peace in Philippians 4, in verse 9, Paul says, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And so one of the things we need to learn to do is we need to learn to listen to each other a little better. And that's why James says to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Instead of always promoting my opinions and pushing my agenda and demanding my way, I need to stop and, and listen. Why is everybody else doing it the way that they're doing it? And maybe I might find that there's some wisdom there. Maybe I might find that my way is okay also, but that way is also equally valid. And I will never know that if I won't just stop for a minute and listen to what somebody else has to say. And I, I, I'll tell you, and with this one-to-one -one ministry too, when we do that, you'd be amazed how if you go to someone and you show that you care about them and you show that you're there to listen for whatever they have to say, be amazed at how much people are willing to say and need to say if we would just let them do that. But we're always so consumed with ourselves and our own thoughts, and we're trapped in this mind, and that's why there's so much storm in there. And we need to learn to cooperate, get along with others, and learn from others. And lastly, the last two items, you need to have the same love. Now, my interpretation from what I see there, and I think it plays itself out in that chapter, is our love that unites us is our love for Jesus Christ. That we love Him and we want to please Him. And so the way to do this group thing is to ask ourselves, when we get all frustrated or we want to make something happen or something to stop happen, we need to ask ourselves, when I go to do this, am I doing this because I want to please God? Or am I doing this because I want to feel more comfortable? Am I doing this because I want to be in control of this? Am I doing this because I think this is the best way? Or am I doing it because I want to please God? And I think that if we approach life with, I just want to make Jesus happy, I think that we're going to see a healthy group dynamic that begins to happen. And then lastly, we need to focus on the mission. Now, this one is interesting because the translations uh, word it differently from version to version. But the end part of that verse 2, some say we are to have the same mind or mindset even though it said we're to have the same mind at the beginning of that verse also. Uh, and I think it's because there's a different kind of mindset. One's in the way we think. The other is the way we're approaching life. In fact, some translations actually word it that way, that we are to be intent on one purpose. It's a purposeful mindset. It's a, what are we trying to achieve? This is what we're going to focus on. And when we decide, now nobody in here ever wants to get in an argument with anybody, right? Okay, all of you guys are always just... Uh, okay, and, and even when you choose not to say something, you are completely in unity with the people around you all the time, right? Anybody in that place? You are? Okay, good. So afterwards, see Cindy, she will give you all the answers on how to make that happen. But 
one of the things we need to think about when we decide that we want to push for something, especially in the dynamic of being a part of a church, is we need to ask, how does this help the mission? Well, what is the mission? The mission is to go and make disciples, right? To teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Our mission is to help each other grow in our faith and to reach more people in our community and help them to grow in our faith. And so when we decide that we want this to happen in the church and it's not happening and we want to fight about that, we need to ask ourselves, does this help the mission? Does it have anything to do with the mission? And if it doesn't have anything to do with the mission and if it doesn't help it, and especially if it hurts the mission, then we need to decide to just let that go. That's something that I'll do on my own, but I don't need to demand this of the group because it has nothing to do with the mission because that's what is supposed to unite us. And some of you have had those conversations with me before where you've come to me and pushed for something and I explained why I think this would harm the mission because believe it or not, every choice that I make as your pastor, my question is, how will this help us further the mission? Will it help it? Will it hurt it? Does it have anything to do with it? And if it doesn't have anything to do with it and if it hurts the mission, I need to not be worried about that. Imagine being a part of a group where everybody in the group is passionately following Jesus Christ, yielding to him in absolute surrender, making sacrifices, doing things that sometimes make them uncomfortable. Imagine being a part of a group that is so thoughtful that they always step back, even if they feel enraged, even if they feel panicked, they always stop back to ask, Lord, Help me to approach this with your kind of heart and attitude. Imagine being in a group like that. Imagine being in a group of people where everybody in the group says, you know what, forget about my needs, forget about my wants and my opinions, what is best for the group? Would we not all be healthier as a result of that? This is how we find peace of mind, is by following the Lord, adjusting our attitudes, and by being a part of the team. Will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come and prepare to lead us? Rely, following the Lord, adjusting our attitudes, and being a part of the team. And I, I know that I say this repeatedly. Sean was not being a part of the team by leaving his daughter there defenseless. <laughs> I know I repeat myself often, but believe it or not, I'm not trying to get people to be on the one-to-one -one team so that we have a bigger team or a bigger church. I'm not trying to get people to be a part of the Sunday ministry team in that back room at 9.30 so that I feel better about the worship service. I'm not trying to get people to be more passionate in seeking the Lord in worship so that it's more exciting for me. I try to get us to be those things because that's what's going to make us whole to truly trust the Lord and live out everything that he's called us to live out. And perhaps today, and you can begin to lead us, Joe, in whatever you feel led to, perhaps today you don't feel at peace in your mind. There's storms inside of there, and you're wrestling with life. And maybe this moment, this morning, was an opportunity to reflect on why is that the case for me? And it could be different from person to person. But why is there a lack of peace in my mind and in my heart? Is your thought life okay before the Lord? Is your mind right? Do you have a right attitude before Him? And I don't mean just at this moment. I mean in life in general. Is your attitude right before the Lord and before others?
Are your actions the way they should be? Perhaps there is something that needs to change in your life today to have the wholeness that you desperately, desperately want to have, but you haven't fully walked in the way that would give you that peace. And I want to invite you, and we have a moment. The Steelers don't play till tomorrow. They move that. Uh, we don't care about Detroit, daughter. Uh, I wasn't in one accord there. But I believe that if we come forward and seek the Lord, we will find that peace that we're looking for. If we begin a journey of walking in the teachings of the Scripture. In fact, that's what it says, is it not? Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Philippians 4, 13. It is God who works in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then, and then, in the context of seeking Him, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so if you have peace of, need peace of mind this morning, it's found in seeking Jesus Christ. And so come if you need to receive empowerment, if you need to receive peace, if you need a sound mind, then come and receive that this morning and seek him and let him bring you peace. Aaron, if we could, that, that verse that says, thank you for the cross, Lord. I want us to go through that verse again uh, in just a moment. But... And I encourage you, one of the things that people have learned that it, when we're in a place of despair, begin worshiping the Lord. Because you'll encounter the goodness of God and you'll start to realize that, boy, I have a lot of things to be thankful for. And so in a moment, they're going to lead us. And I might, you just keep going. I might interject uh, as you're going, depending on what the Lord's doing. But when we find ourselves feeling frustrated, because we don't have the financial resources we, we feel like we need to have. And we're feeling edgy, we're feeling down, we're feeling grumpy. Or when our bodies are not the way we would like them to be, or our, our minds or our relationships and we have conflicts and those kind of things, then when that's happening, may we stop and at that moment start to sing and worship. Would you lead us in that verse? My health's not good, but thank you for the price you paid. I don't know how to pay my bills, but bearing all my sins. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In love you came you. and you gave amazing grace. I may have lost some things, but thank you for this love. Lord. Yes, Lord. Maybe at times when you've heard that verse, and it's right in that anxiety space in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and perhaps you've read that and were perplexed at how to walk in that, or maybe you've read that before and you thought, 
Well, maybe that just means that I'm miserable now, but later I'll rejoice. No, rejoice now, rejoice in the Lord always. We have, and I hope that now this morning as we see what, the, what God teaches us in his word, that we know how to have that, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so if we're going to do that, we read that earlier in 1 Peter 1. We need to prepare our minds for action. We can't just lay around and wait for that peace to come. For us to receive it, we need to walk in everything that God has for us and walk in His plan and will for our lives. And so that's why on Wednesdays, and again, I'm not trying to just be a walking advertisement here. Really not. But when we get together on Wednesdays and people are sharing their different perspectives and asking their questions and being encouraged and challenged, uh, I don't know if, if the rest of the group feels this way. But I feel about that group as well as I have two pastor groups I meet with month monthly. I have a couple of Assembly of God pastors I meet with for lunch once a month. And I have a couple of Northside pastors from other denominations that meet me in that room to, to talk and pray. And when I find myself in any of those three groups where we just got together to be with each other, sometimes I gain no insight. Sometimes nobody offered a word of encouragement to me and I wasn't looking for it. But every time I walk away from those encounters, I feel a little better than Melissa does right now. <laughs> but actually, every time I walk, I feel so good, so good. And like I said, it, it had nothing to do with that I received some insights or someone helped me out with something. I feel so good being a part of that group discussion. And so Wednesdays, I encourage you, please receive all that God has for you and be a part of that group. Or also, I urge you to be a part of that one-to-one -one network when we meet next week. Because truly, truly, life is so much better when we stop worrying about our own problems and we start helping other people with theirs. And so be a part of seeing that in our own lives and the lives of others. Or next week, have you ever felt just too emotional? Like you just, your emotions were a mess, Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about emotional stability. How many need some of that uh, from the Lord today, okay? So the reason why you received an invite to church is not because we're inviting you to church. You're here already. But I want you to take that invite card, and someone that you know is struggling emotionally, don't go to them and say, hey, you need some help, so come, come and, and see what he has to say. Don't say it that way. Say, listen, I know you're struggling. My pastor's talking about that kind of struggle. I think that you would receive something good from that. Will you come and be a part of that next week? So go and, and invite someone to be a part of that. And then remember what it is we're doing, okay? We're not coming together just to sing some songs. We're not coming together just to learn something. You and I have a mission and a purpose to serve. Do you know that? And our mission, our mission is to help people thrive with God's help, to help people thrive in their faith, in their life. Our mission is to do that by helping them to develop in their spiritual maturity and their walk with the Lord. And we do that as we intentionally, intentionally connect with others and connect them to the life with, Beth with Bethel. Our mission is to connect, develop, thrive. There'll be a quiz on that next week. If you fail, no. But I, I repeat that because we want to know, what is it that we're about? Connect, develop, thrive. Can we do that? Yeah. Amen. Thank you for being here. I love you. God bless you. See you next Sunday.